1: Never warrant your arrest for the murder of William Miller, who was the gas station attendant.
2: But you're wrong. From NBI Studios, this is Truth and Justice, a crowdsourced investigation in real time. I'm Bob Ross. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Truth and Justice. This is your Friday follow up episode for season seven, episode 11. And in this week, we finally got to hear from Jamie's ex wife, Tammy Snow. Mike and I made a trip to Bloomington, and she was one of the first people that we wanted to talk to. She was actually the primary reason we made the trip because I wanted to really have the opportunity to sit down and have a conversation with Tammy and not have it feel so much like an interview because I, re- I really believe. So no, everything Jamie has told me up to this point has checked out. I haven't I haven't seen that he's lied to me about anything when other people have contradicted him. The evidence seems to indicate that Jamie is the one that was telling the truth. So I wanted to as I said in the episode see if Jamie's wife ex-wife would would spill any tea so to speak that there was to spill on him and to see if he really did have an alibi and as you heard in the episode As I listened to Tammy speaking and heard how we kind of corroborated when certain things happened, I left that conversation with the impression that there's no way Jamie Snow could have killed Bill Little because it seems highly, highly unlikely at this point that he was anywhere else besides at his house. So we're going to get into all of that. I'm joined today by our producer and editor, Mike Bussing. Hey, Bob. And by our co-host, the host of the Made Us podcast, Mr. Zach Weaver. Thanks for having me. Texas Ranger James Holland is a legendary interrogator. They call him the serial killer whisperer.
1: You can't hide those indications. And that's why yesterday I knew that you did it.
2: But now, shocking interrogation tapes reveal how the super cop really operates.
1: And that's why they asked me to come in, because I'm special.
2: From something else, The Marshall Project and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Smokescreen. Just say you're sorry. Listen and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Before we get into any of the specific listener questions, what I'd like to do first is, is kind of get your opinions, both of you, on Tammy Snow's interview. Now, Mike, you were there with me. I mean, what, what did you think about Tammy Snow and her credibility and how it relates to Jamie's potential alibi?
3: I thought that Tammy had some things to get off her chest. Uh, and I thought that she wanted to convey to you her perception of the truth i don 't think there was any deception in what she had to say as far as her story, which tended to defend Jamie a little bit. I mean, mm-hmm. it really did, and I think you were looking out for cues and maybe indicators of deception in the conversation and i didn't get pick up on any not that i 'm you know a studied a studied interviewer, but i th- I feel like she really conveyed honesty and truthfulness. And I'm really glad that, you know, it was probably, it was probably uncomfortable for her to put on a microphone and talk to you, interview with you on mic, knowing it was going to be on the podcast. But I'm really good. I'm really glad that she was able to step up to the plate in a sense and, and let everybody who listens to the show know exactly her stance on Jamie.
2: Yeah. And, and I'm with you. I, I, as you know, I'm always looking for and listening for any indications of deception. I'm not an expert either. I've been trained quite a bit on doing those things, primarily between studying and from, from Jim Clemente teaching me. But I, I didn't see any indication of deception whatsoever that, that I could pick up on. But the the big question is it, for me is, could she still be wrong? You know what I mean? That, that she's not lying, but could she be wrong?
1: That's where I am kind of at right now is... You seem to come out of that interview pretty convinced that she was telling the truth. Mm -hmm. And the way that I listen to it, I'm convinced she's telling the truth as she sees it. Her truth. Her truth. Uh She's telling the truth as she recalls. Mm -hmm. But I still think there's some moments in there that maybe she's not recalling some things. There's still some questions in my mind. I'm not solely convinced yet. I don't have any evidence to say that Jamie did it. But Uh at this point, I don't have enough evidence to say he didn't do it. Okay, I, I, that's fair because there is no evidence. That's the hard part. Right, and that's the
2: so if you're looking at, you know, the way I'm investigating investigative cases to kind of go back to ground zero mm-hmm. and look to see, you know, this person's innocent unless they're proven guilty and that's not just with Jamie with any other suspect. Mm-hmm. What evidence do we have that he actually did it? I don't see any. As far as Tammy with her version of events or timeline. Like I said, I'm certain she's telling her truth, Mm -hmm. but I'm also, I mean, I'm fairly convinced. I'm, I'm convinced. I'll say that the day she's remembering was Easter Sunday, 91, because I mean, it it had to be now. Now the details of that day certainly could be off, Mm -hmm. but it, it had to be that Easter Sunday in 1991, because we do know we can check, we can, we can document and see when they were living in St. Louis, where junior was born and where they were living in 90 and 92. Mm-hmm. So the only only year it could be is 91. What what was it that she said that has you concerned?
1: So she talked about not being able to remember when she was questioned. She says several times, she's like, I was questioned quickly after that. And you said, well, how long after that? Well, I don't know how long after right. that. And then the next time she talks about being questioned, she says for sure it was cats. And we know cats was in 98. Right. But
2: see – I I didn't take that as as her, and I've listened to it a few times. In that moment, where she's saying it was shortly thereafter, if you mm-hmm. listen to her, and may, unless I'm remembering incorrectly, you know she she says it was questioned, and or she was she was she was thinking about it as mm-hmm. she was she was telling it to me. Uh, but then she was saying like like we knew, I knew that he was a suspect. Then mm-hmm. she didn't necessarily say she remembers. She she's like, well, they they talked to my parents. I knew they were, that, that he was a suspect. So she's hearing these rumors. Uh, and, and so she knows he's a suspect, but I don't think she said that she was questioned. that. when I was asking her as she was working through that, mm-hmm. that she was actually brought in for questioning by the police in 1991. I think the point that she was trying to get across, and again, I'll stand corrected if I review this and it's different, but the point she was trying to get across was that because they had interviewed her parents and because rumors were going around and she was hearing from people right there in a short period of time, right after it happened, like within days or weeks of it happening that she would have right then it would have popped out in her mind. Like, where was he that night? Mm -hmm. You know, and
1: that makes sense. My, my thought was just that, and I could be misremembering that she said, I felt like she said she was questioned and then she didn't, wasn't sure when she was questioned. And then Mm -hmm. the next statement I remember hearing about being questioned was, was she cats? was confident it was cats, right. which we know that timeline. Right. So then that's a that's a seven-year difference at this point.
2: Right. Yeah, the, the, what I took out of it, and it maybe she may have even misspoke there, but what I, I don't know, Mike, what did you get as far as your impression of it? I'm,
3: hard, I'm on the fence
2: about it. I didn't even catch
3: that. So, Zach, thanks for bringing that to my attention about her identifying cats and then him being from later interviews. It's so hard when these cases happen so long ago and people are trying to make sense of their memories. Mm-hmm. And I also think there's something to be said about how I feel like people are more likely to get something wrong the smaller it is, if that makes any sense. Yeah, for sure. They might get something right, something easy, like I was living in Florida. But they might get something wrong that's smaller than that, that like who specifically, specifically they were talking to at such and such a time. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something to be said about what memories are easily confused and what memories are, are harder to forget.
2: Right. And that's mm. why we work on those benchmark things. You know, you know, like you heard me talking to her. Well, let's talk about Junior. And, and and there was some, we were already talking before Mike hit record on the recorder, on our, our mixer there. But you know, she, she started to talk about Junior and wh- where they lived and things like that. And so that, for me, like there's, a, there's at least somewhere we can start. Mm-hmm. We know for a fact what day Junior was born. Yeah. And where he was born in which state he was born in, that's something that is going to be a solid memory. Mm -hmm. And that's provable. That's why I asked her that, like, where was he at? And then that got her to thinking, so when, you know, when was she living in the trailer park with her parents? How long was it? You know, all those things started to start to narrow us down to this window. It doesn't get us to a date. The only, the only help we have with a date is Easter. It wasn't just a normal Sunday. It was Easter Sunday. And then we start looking at because of those inability to remember those small details is why I said okay let's talk generally around that time juniors a year old you're living down the street from your parents which only happened for a couple months uh, when the golf you know, the golf tees were happening I'm trying to bring her back into that time right and during that time would Jamie leave you guys home and go out
1: mm-hmm.
2: on a night and would he do that on a, a, a night like Easter, you know, a holiday, right? Yeah, like, what would he spend the day with you doing Easter stuff and be like, "All right, I'm going out with my buddies there." And, and so that's that's part of what for me started sort of shaped a lot of that memory. As far as her deception goes, the fact that you know it, when someone is lying very infrequently, will they tell you that they can't remember? You know, there were certain parts of it. She's like, oh, "I just, I, I don't want to get it wrong. I don't remember. Yeah, I don't remember that part." Usually, that's an indicator of veracity that. They're really trying to get the facts
1: straight. Yeah, and I don't believe that she was there was any deception. I don't believe she was trying to deceive. I mm-hmm. think she again, like I said before, is telling her truth. Mm-hmm. Right. To the best of her ability. Right. You know, so I don't want to I'm not trying to say that she was deceiving at any point. Mm-hmm. It's just more that there's some stuff in there that still haven't convinced me as quite as much as it's convinced you. Mm-hmm. What are those things? Well, like I said, that that statement with the, right. the knowing that it was cats, she did talk a couple of times about the cast. Uh-huh. And and the cast thing, you know, before we said Jamie was in a cast, you know, he couldn't have done this because he was in a cast. And right. We know he took the cast off. And then she talks about being in the cast again, right, and taking it off. So this isn't a, this isn't a common occurrence. So how do we know that that's the exact time frame,
2: right? But then again, she said she did. She couldn't pin down the time of the cast because, for starters, there were two times when he was in a cast. Well, and that's I guess that's which what is I'm, accurate.
1: I guess that's what I'm saying is. I know she did not say that he was in the cast at that point, right? but I'm putting that back with the other time that we talked about the cast, saying Mm -hmm. that he was in the cast at that point. Now, I know she did not say that, but I don't know if it was last week or before, we talked about him possibly being in the cast at that point. Right. That now puts some doubt in my mind as to when that cast was. Not saying he wasn't, but it definitely clouds that okay, I understand what
2: you're saying. Yeah, and for me, I was never convinced of the cast. Okay. Anyway, only because we haven't been able to prove it yet. Jamie and his team are looking for those medical records. To see if, you know, it seems pretty consistent. Jamie's story with Tammy's are the same, that he had the cast, mm-hmm. that he took it off himself. He went to the doctor, got it put on, had a checkup, and then took it off himself because he didn't want to pay for the doctor bill to go get it it, it put on. Mm-hmm. So, you know, if we can go find the medical records that show, well, the cast was put on in on March 15th yeah. of 1991, Then we can, I think, reasonably assert that it probably was at that time when he had the cast on. But even with that, we, d- we don't know you know he could have taken that off himself the day before Easter or the day after Easter so there's a, there's a, I, I don't think the cast is going to help us mm-hmm. i guess is what i'm saying because we can't prove that he did have it or didn't have it and in this week's episode you'll see more why that's important because you know we've been talking a lot about rumors but when we get into witnesses that's to me when the cast becomes very very relevant
0: with the lucky land slots you can get lucky just about anywhere
3: Okay, our first question comes from listener Laura. Do we know if Jamie Snow changed his identity when he moved to Florida? Again, I know that doesn't make him guilty, but I've read it in numerous, albeit non-reputable, resources.
2: Not to my knowledge, I haven't. I haven't heard that he changed his identity when he went to Florida. From what I understand, he changed, his, and it's actually in the police report. He changed his identity or was going by an assumed name when he went to Ohio, which is where he was where he was arrested. So when he was going down to Florida, he and According to Tammy, Jamie just liked it in Florida. That's why they were going there. He liked it in Florida. And that, that I think also had to do a little bit with why they split up is because, you know, she wanted to go back home to Bloomington and he didn't want to leave Florida, so he stayed there, but it, it sounds like he was operating as Jamie Snow in Florida. Mm-hmm. It was when he got word that the grand jury was meeting and they had indicted him and he took off and ran to Ohio. That when he got to Ohio, he was operating under an assumed name. All right,
3: and Sandy says Tammy said that Susan was instructed in what to say by the cops, but she didn't. I get the feeling Martinez may have also had this pressure. Are we any closer to getting an interview with Martinez to ask him?
2: We're not any closer. I mean, I've made no contact with him. I've tried calling some numbers that I think might be his. It's hard to say. We went to the addresses that we thought were his. He wasn't there. The legal team has reached out to him already. So, no, we're not any closer to having an interview with Martinez. But as far as the pressure goes, as we move along, I've started to get people coming forward and people that I'm hoping are willing to talk. Sounds like there are a few people on the fence, but they're thinking about it, But I don't want, so I don't want to get into those details yet. But there are people that testified at Jamie's trial that most certainly have come forward, uh, Some, not necessarily to me, but they've come forward and admitted, number one, they were lying and also explain the amount of pressure that they had on them to do so. So you will be hearing in detail about all that as we move along.
3: All right, Becky has two questions. Could we get a written record of Tammy's traffic tickets to show how she was being harassed at that time? And also, do police keep a record every time they bring someone in to question or interview?
2: The answer to the second part is no. The answer to whether they should is yes. Um, but uh, as far as the the first part and Tammy's traffic records, I I looked up her records in the McLean County website, and the, it does show her. It's really tricky, and and it's not hard to do. So if you go look up, go to the McLean County, Illinois Clerk's Office website, and you can search just like I did for for anybody's criminal records, and and it'll show traffic issues as well there's a string there's three entries in 1999 december of 1999 they're the only three entries that don't they're weird they don't have you had to go into the actual documents to see the dates even so all of the other records like if she got pulled over for speeding or whatever all of them will show like the date this was filed the days it was dissolved uh, or disposed of and those three entries have no dates on them they're very vague if you go in you can see What the charges were, and you can you can find some dates in there, but it's hard to find. It's documented as though it was one traffic stop, but depending on which one of the files you click, then it shows you like this list of charges, like driving on a suspended license, driving on revoked license. It was all my speeding, no insurance, a bunch of I don't remember what they all were, but I mean a list of like a dozen things Mm -hmm. from this one traffic stop. And then a lot of them say null prosecute, which means that you know they didn't prosecute it or dismissed. One says pled guilty to. I think that was operating without a without a license or something like that. But it seems very odd. And there, there's this one stop where there's all this stuff in there,
1: mm-hmm. which would lend to what she's saying about being harassed, right? Do we know? I mean, you looked at it. I have not. How many prior stops were there? Were there stops? Since ninety one, do we know anything? Yeah, like that? she has. Uh, uh, but I mean, uh, they, do they seem normal or do they seem normal? Harassing? Nothing excesses. Yeah.
2: Like she, you know, she was stopped and, you know, she got a a ticket in nineteen ninety and then a, t- you know, in a ticket in nineteen eighty eight. It mm-hmm. was one in ninety four. So,
1: so again, that kind of leads to that her telling the truth about being harassed. But again, that pushes that timeline back to after cats. Which is again what I was talking about before, right?
2: But again, like I said, I think that's what she. I don't. I think I don't think she ever said anything otherwise. Okay, that she never actually interviewed with police. Yeah, until Katz took over ninety nine. She knew what was going on, but and she did say though. She did say she had a conversation, at least one conversation with Crow. I now, now I'm thinking back, but but again, she didn't put a date on it. But she did. So Crow was retired. Okay, when Katz took over the investigation. Yep. So so there was a time where she said she remembered specifically speaking to Detective Crow because, remember, she said that, like, he was like a human being. Like, he said, you know, you need to tell me something. She's like, I don't know anything. There's nothing I can tell you. And he accepted that and moved on. He didn't continue to try to get her to talk to him or tell him something that she didn't actually know. Okay. That, as far as, you know, we don't know when that occurred. It could have been anywhere between, you know, 91 and 98. But... The fact that she's not saying, "I remember on this date talking to police," and rather, which are those little details like you were talking about, Mike. Mm-hmm. Rather, it's I remember talking to Detective Crow specifically. So that kind of gives us a range of time when that happened. I can't, I don't, I don't show any documentation of multiple stops in nineteen ninety nine or ninety eight, which were the, the, all the time frame when when this was happening. There was just the one documentation with a whole bunch of charges for. The what's the way it's di it's hard to tell, but the way it's documented, it looks like it was all one stop. But I have a but the, but these are the court filings too. So what I don't have is the actual police records and reports and tickets. So there's so many that I thought maybe she had just like she said been pulled over multiple times, was written several tickets, and then they they turned into the prosecutor prosecutor's office or the clerk's office this packet up here. She's got. 12 different offenses, Mm -hmm. and they got entered in that way. I don't know one way or the other, but it certainly is, we can verify that in 1999, in the time that she said this happened, that she at least once was pulled over and issued a lot of charges. As far as the second part, which was, do they have a record of any time they interrogate somebody? Yes, they should, but they don't. I mean, we have no record whatsoever that I've seen, and I even had Tammy Alexander look to see if she'd seen Nowhere is there any documentation that the police brought in Tammy Snow for an interview ever, and I'm I'm very convinced after talking to her that it did happen. They did bring her in to question her, and they just obviously didn't document it, which then opens up a whole other can of worms because we don't know if, if they are not documenting that because it's it's not helpful to their case, right? It's not helpful that they brought in his ex wife. And she said he didn't do it, so they just leave it out. Mm -hmm. I don't. I I almost don't even know how that's not Brady in one way or another. I mean, because that's exculpatory, I guess that she's not giving. You know, she's telling them that he was with her, and maybe she didn't. You know, maybe she just kept saying, you know, I he didn't do it. I'm not talking about this, and didn't give him that information or a specific alibi. But it makes you wonder how many other people were spoken to, what other evidence was out there that also didn't get documented. All
3: right, this one's from Wendell. Is there no record of Tammy or her parents being questioned in 1991 or of what Jamie gave for his alibi at that time?
2: No, that's another one uh, very similar to what I was just talking about. We, I can't say we know for a fact, but all indications seem to be that Tam, or Tammy's parents were interviewed. Jamie knew they were spoken to. Tammy knew they were spoken to. They told Tammy, according to Tammy, that they interviewed her. And I haven't seen any police reports documenting it, which could be, you know, it could be like it doesn't necessarily mean that they brought them into an interrogation room. You know, they could have just saw him in a coffee shop and sat down and had a conversation. But no. So as far as I know, there's no documentation of that.
3: Brian says, are we able to find out who Jamie did drywall work for? I wasn't sure if he did it on his own or worked for somebody else. If he did work for somebody else, can they verify that Jamie had a cast on his
2: arm? He didn't work for himself. He was working for another company. He has said the name to me before, but I don't know it off the top of my head. But yeah, he was working for someone else. But this—I mean, if you think that Tammy Snow's memory is unreliable because so much time has passed, imagine contacting an, an employer that's employed however many people over however many years and saying, "Do you remember if on this date, 28 years ago, Jamie had a cast?" Seems unlikely. I think yeah. we're, we're better off with medical records.
3: James says, as far as the photos from the Easter Jamie was with his family, did they ask everyone that was there that day for any pictures they might have taken? Jamie could have been in some background pictures.
2: Uh, it sounds like they just went through everything they had. So the only people there, it sounds like, were Tammy's parents, Tammy and Jamie and Tammy's sister and, and her husband, I think. And they, she said she went through with her sister, I think, in the grand jury testimony, looking for photos mm-hmm. and, and didn't find any. I assume that they have looked.
1: And I I did really appreciate the one thing Tammy Snow said about this. She said, what, what does it matter if he was in the pictures? Like, that does that's during the day. It doesn't I, prove anything. Exactly right. Yeah. So I did really appreciate
2: that. Yeah. So if we came up with a picture that was time-stamped, you know, like the old camp photos were, yeah. March 31st, 1991, and there was a picture of Jamie in a cast holding his son with an Easter basket. Mm-hmm. I don't think that was going to stop the prosecution. I 100 percent agree. Right, because they'll be like, "Oh yeah, well that was at noon. Yeah, right. you know, it was 12 o'clock. This happened at 8 o'clock. So I don't think it would have mattered."
3: All right, Chris says, "Will we be learning more about the evidence the prosecution had against Susan that led to her trial?"
2: Absolutely. Yeah. I'm. I'm this case. Just to be very transparent with all of you, uh, I had a conference call last week. Mikey were on it with Jamie's attorney. And investigator Ray Wilson and Tammy Alexander, just talking about documents we had, and you know what what we were going to do, what I was planning to do from here. You know, after I talked to Tammy Snow, I'm I'm convinced. Not to say that something can't change my mind, but right now I'm convinced Jamie's innocent. So at this point, you know, I wanted to get them on the phone and say, okay, this this is more because they've been re- really in the dark. I don't share with them what I'm doing. Right. So it's just as much of a other than Tammy maybe helping point me and, and Ray helping point me towards documents that I'm looking for in the files, I'm not going to run by what I'm doing by the attorneys and things. I'm not going to let what I'm doing be warped by the attorneys. Yeah,
1: you don't want any outside bias.
2: Right. But so part of the conversation was I was explaining to them that this case is tough because I, there's, you know, the investigative part is a whole lot of, you know, usually there's breadcrumbs and this one's are spider webs because there's so much happening. All, all at the same time, and so you've got two tr- two different trials, you've got Susan's trial and Jamie's trial, and you've got like a whole, you got this initial investigation, then a new investigation that goes these routes, at the same time, I'm getting all these tips in for people that are saying, no, 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 look at this guy, look at this guy, and part of, you know, as an investigator, that's tricky, but we're managing that pretty well, as far as what Mike and I are doing behind the scenes, as a, as a podcast producer, it's a little difficult because. What I always try to do is take all that and then kind of put it together in a in a very linear uh narrative narrative, yeah, an arc so that when you are guys are listening, things are making sense, like we're going to go from this topic and the next logical topic is this topic, and the next logical topic is this topic. and this one it's tough because right now I want to get into susan's trial bad i've got I've had so far two of her jurors reach out that are willing to talk. I have her uh husband at the time that's willing to talk to me. So these are all people that, that we can bring on and really shed a lot of light into that. But at the same time, I have some of the jailhouse snitches reaching out and want to talk to me. And then we have all the, we have the case against Jamie. And then we have the, you know, there's just a lot happening. So long story short, or that we're coming back to is yes, we are going to dig deeply into Susan's trial because in order for the prosecution to convict Susan Claycomb, Susan Powell was her maiden name, Susan Claycomb at the time. In order for them to convict her, they had to prove to a jury that Jamie Snow did this and then prove that Susan helped Jamie Snow do this. And they didn't succeed in that. And so I want to see what went different between one trial and the other. And this week, we're going to take one witness. That I decided this week who we're going to talk about is actually Danny Martinez. We, we've hinted about changing stories and testimonies, but that's a big spider web that goes in all different directions. But one massive, huge difference that I've seen in his stories and how things look differently uh, regarding him is his trial testimony at Susan Claycomb's trial compared to his trial testimony at Jamie Snow's trial. And he's supposed to be telling the same story, but I want you guys to hear what he said differently and what the end result of his testimony was when Susan's attorneys were cross examining him compared to when Jamie's attorneys were cross examining him.
1: What's the time elapsed between the trials? Do you know? Oh
2: god, good question. I I think it was just a couple months. Okay. I don't I don't remember off the top of my head. Um, uh, but we'll get into into that too. I'll remember to point that out when I'm writing the finish writing the episode. But but yeah, so we're gonna get into that, but I wanna make sure I wanna make sure I have all the information. So I wanna I wanna get on the phone with with Susan's husband. I want to get on the phone with these jurors and, and and really get a good understanding, and it's just a it's just a matter of figuring out how Susan's trial fits into this this narrative, right? That we're trying to tell the story of because I'm, we're talking about Jamie's case, but then there's Susan's case, which is a whole other thing, but it's not a whole other thing because it's also directly related to Jamie's case.
0: Well there, you have it. You can get lucky anywhere playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18+. plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023.
2: If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our US-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware.
3: Scott says, I just want to pose a scenario for you guys to consider. And I'll preface this with a few points. There are several good suspects that don't match the official description and the timeline from the encounter that led to the official description and the actual murder seem far too far apart to me. What if the guy from that encounter walked out and another guy in a dark jacket entered, while no one noticed, and the second guy is actually the killer, and also one of the suspects for whom there is actual corroborating evidence?
2: this That's a really good point. Who, who wrote that? Scott. Scott, it's a very good point, and... I'm really starting to wonder if that's not what happened. It's really hard for me to get past the fact that the descriptions from outside and the descriptions from Gutierrez inside were so similar in the fact that, you know, it's a a taller guy, same type of black leather jacket, blue jeans, dark colored hat. I mean, that's that's very specific for it not to be the same guy. But at the same time, as we talked about before, nineteen ninety one was it really that uncommon? Yeah. In in the Midwest in ninety one, it, it could have been someone else. But We've. I'll just say this. I've had a tip come in that I'm working on for someone that does not fit the description that Gutierrez gave. And I can see how the police would say, well, that's not, can't be the guy. It looks nothing like the person that was described. But yeah, what if, what if that guy just left?
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And then another guy came in and then it just happened to be wearing the same type of clothes.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, we talked about the the curb height and how that was. I mean, there's a lot of things that that could play into that. So I just, I don't think that we can be certain that Gutierrez's description is accurate. And I've always had the problem with it, to be honest with you, and we've talked about this before, the fact that it's so damn specific. Yeah. Like, like way, like everything in his statement, as far as that, I remember I walked back into the house, it was 812. It was 806 when, you know, there's.
1: Mm -hmm. Well, and with that being said, there is that, you still have the time elapsed between register and the shots, uh-huh. but then you get rid of that extra ten minutes beforehand. Mm-hmm. So it could have been someone coming in, still having an issue, but you don't have that extra ten minutes of standing around, right? Mm-hmm. Which kind of helps, you know. It does narrow that down a little bit, I think. Yeah,
2: I, and like I said, you know, we'll hear as soon as I get things sorted out. We'll you'll hear about it. But this one particular lead that I'm talking about, I mean, it as I'm going through it, I'm thinking, holy shit, like this could be the guy. Well, I'm pretty intrigued but it doesn't fit with the description. So we'll see as we move forward. But yeah, that's definitely something we should keep in mind.
3: Joel says, Is there a chance Bill was in a relationship with the coworker he was covering the shift for? I know she had kids, but was she married or in a relationship? I just can't get past the wrong number answering machine message being related to Bill's murder. And if her name was close to Gina or Jenny, then the people she knew should definitely be considered. All right, and actually, Bob, before you answer that, Gina Luna responded on the fan page to Joel. She wrote, Guys, I was the coworker. I'm 10 years older than Billy and just knew him for three months. He was a good kid, a nice kid doing me a favor on a holiday. Nothing more. The Lord knows I wish I knew more. So very interesting.
2: That's awesome that she chimed in. I actually didn't even realize that Miss Luna was on the, the fan page.
3: Yeah, neither did I. I was just scrolling through and saw her name, and I even asked you right away if you were in contact with her. Cause I didn't know we had even made contact with her.
2: Yeah, we had, well, we hadn't, she came up to Tammy Alexander at the, at the fair where they had the free Jamie snow booth. And that's remember about a month ago that we had some information that she had given us. Uh, but I had no idea she was in the fan page and that's great because I didn't have much of an answer to that, uh, that she gave us the answer. So, so according to Gina Luna, she did, was not in a relationship with Bill in any way that he was just, a friend, a coworker, a nice kid that was doing her a favor. So that's – and Gina, if you're listening, thank you so much for participating and, and for um, jumping in to answer that question. We really, really appreciate that.
3: All right. And our last question comes from Chris. Bob, given the strong sentiments among fans of the show about the issue of police in the U.S. being able to lie when openly interviewing people and suspects, yet the U.K. does not allow it, would you consider using an episode in the near future to do an interview with a veteran of the UK police force to get their perspective on the matter?
2: Well, so this is actually a good lead into to something else I wanted to talk about before we close the show out. I thought about this episode continuing that conversation because there, there's more that I want to talk about, and I think that it's a it's a really good topic for us to have an open discussion on. And if, if you were on the fan page, you see there was a lot of really good Discussion going on about this. There are a few people that 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 can be overly aggressive, I guess, with their opinions. But for the most part, it opened up a really good, intelligent dialogue back and forth.
1: Yeah, it really was a a really nice discussion. Actually, I was surprised at the level of uh, civility that was in there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. But the thing is, like, we have other stuff to do here, and, and so we can't, d- you know, co- devote
2: an hour of our episodes to to talk about a point like that. Because it's not going to have any effect in this in the case that we're working on right now. I mean, this is all of this is our opinions on a Supreme Court ruling, right? So it is law right now, and it's something to be. Maybe we can advocate to change. And there's a lot of things we should do like that. But it just so happened that that discussion came up at the same time that Zach and I are have been talking about launching a new project. It was kind of a motivator to me to say let's let's go ahead and do it and and if nobody's interested then nobody's interested but i think it's something that, that we want to do anyway which is we're going to start a podcast and we we we've already got a lot of things in the works i can't tell you when it's going to come out um but i would i would say probably i would expect it i hope by the end of october uh that we can actually get this thing off the ground we're throwing around some working titles for it right now but the concept is basically this where Zach and i just the two of us Generally, sometimes we'll have guests like like uh, Chris was talking about here, are going to sit down each week and have an open discussion about very controversial topics, and that's everything from from criminal justice to you know what's going on with the elections and things like that. But the reason that I want to do that with Zach and why we both want to do it is because we are both. Very much, I I would consider myself an independent. Yeah. And, and there's a lot of issues that we can kind of see both sides of because neither one of us affiliate with either political party. And I think we both have the ability to communicate in an objective way and see both sides of things. And so, you know, we're, we're working out some details about, you know, how we would go about this. But what's nice is it's it's something that we like to do. There's oftentimes the hour before and or after we record these follow-ups, why Zach's here, we're having these discussions all the time anyway. yep. And so essentially we want to just sit down here in the booth and record these conversations and and it wouldn't be a Bob Ruff podcast if we didn't involve the listeners, you know, so we're, we're going to work out some things to to be able to do call-ins where people can call in and and chime in on their thoughts on particular topics, you know, and we'll use social media for that as well. We've set up as well, our Patreon people know this, but with those of you that just listen to the audio of our podcast here, we've done a lot with cameras in the new studio. We actually have five cameras in here now, and uh, we're probably going to do a YouTube channel for that as well. So we'll put those put videos out of, of our discussions uh, that we have every week. And for those of you that aren't patrons and want to check this out, I, th- I definitely think it's worth the the five bucks a month, not only for the ad free version of the episodes of our audio episodes of Truth and Justice, but also for the, the videos that we put up with that. You get to watch uncut us us making these these podcasts. But anyway, there'll be a YouTube channel for it. And it's a, I'm excited to do it. and it. Like, I'm excited to do it, even if it's Zach and I talking and we publish it and three people listen to it, two of them being us.
1: Yep. No, I'm really excited as well.
2: Yeah. So that's going to be coming. I'd love to know what you guys think about it. So feel free to chime in on social media or shoot us an email or whatever and let us know what you think and if you'd be interested. And again, the other concept is basically we're going to talk about very controversial issues from a very neutral way, meaning most of the time you're not going to hear us take a side. We're just going to open up a discussion where we see both sides of the argument because I'm a firm believer that most things aren't black and white. There's a gray area and the overarching theme of that show is going to be hopefully that you know, we we can take a little less a little bit of hate out of the world in some of these discussions. that people can can realize that the, the person on the other side of an issue from you oftentimes does not have malicious intent, but they are just seeing things from another perspective.
1: Yeah, guys. I'm really looking forward to hearing all of your feedback. All right.
3: And before we close out, Bob, you and Zach were both on the latest episode of Disgruntled Mom's Podcast, which is an NBI studio show. The Dad Bod Pod.
2: Yeah, did you, I didn't see? Did they get it published? Mm-hmm. Is that what they called it?
1: Yep, the Dad Bod Pod.
2: Yeah, so uh, for those of you that don't know, we have we have several shows here at NBI Studios. Zach Show Made Us as one of them, and uh, another great one is uh, the Disgruntled Moms Podcast. And it's typically five moms that talk about certain issues, and they're from all walks of life, married with kids, divorced, and out trying to date in their in their thirties and forties. They talk about a lot of things. I think it's hilarious. Uh, but they were kind enough to invite me and Zach to be on the first only the first dad episode. Yeah,
1: we were disgruntled dads, and it was a good time. We had a we had a good uh, cheerful laugh over and over again. Yeah, Bob tells one of the most horrific stories <laughs> I've ever heard in my entire life. So you you guys you have to tune into this just to hear Bob's story. I had to tell a story afterwards and I couldn't even compete. I didn't even want to tell my story afterwards. That's how (laughs) horrific the story is. Couldn't top it. (laughs) Yeah, I didn't even want to try to top it because I couldn't. They
2: wanted us both to tell like the most disturbing dad story they ever had. And like an asshole, I jumped in first. And told, uh, told a real doozy of a story, and then Zach had to follow it with, like, you know, one time my kid was late for school, <laughs> you know, which is pretty much the extent of it. Anyway, uh, if you're looking for something to listen to this week while you're waiting on our main episode to drop on this Sunday, which is going to be about Danny Martinez, uh, make sure you check out the Disgruntled Moms podcast and check out the dad bod episode with uh, Zach and yours truly. And, again, let us know what you think about this new upcoming project we have. We'd love to hear your thoughts. And with all of that being said, Mike, you got anything else? That's it, Bob. All right. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in, and we'll talk to you again next week. Goodbye, guys. See ya. Truth and Justice is an NBI Studios production and is distributed by Wondery. Mike Bussing is our executive producer, and all music for the show is created and composed by PutThemInASong.com. Our Friday File up logo was created by Amanda Meyer with Willow Photo and Design, and all of our font across all of our logos and banners was created by Tate Krupa of Red Swan Graphic Design. You can find more of Tate's work on Etsy. I want to thank Katie Ross of CreatedInTandem.com for designing, creating, managing, and maintaining our website, TruthAndJusticePod.com, where you can view all photos and documents discussed in every episode. Thank you to our transcription team, Natalie Alicia, Pamela Westby, Pam Maples, and Jen Reese in Candela. And as always, thank you to all of you for all of your engagement and support. If you like the show and you'd like to support us, you can do so in a number of ways. To financially support the show, you can go to patreon.com truthandjustice. On the Patreon page, you can pledge as little as $3 a month, and we have reward levels on Patreon that include access to behind-the-scenes videos of the tapings of our Friday follow-up episodes, add free versions of all of our episodes truth and justice army t-shirts and hats and even the opportunity to co-host one of our friday follow-up episodes you can also help us out by going to itunes and leaving us a five-star rating and review and lastly you can always support the show by supporting the companies that sponsor this program if you have a new case that you'd like us to consider for future seasons you can submit your cases on our website just click on the case submissions button and fill out the form and the most important thing that you can do is engage in the investigations You can keep in touch with us through our email at theories at truthandjusticepod.com. You can like our Facebook page or join in on the conversation on the Truth and Justice Podcast fans page. And for all of you tweeters, you can connect with us on Twitter. The show's handle is at truthjusticepod, and my personal Twitter handle is at Truth. And you can also connect with Mike at mbussing89. For more personal interactions, feel free to follow me on Instagram at truthjusticepod. And don't forget that we always have our 24-7 voicemail line open for questions, comments, or tips on our cases. That phone number is 269-224-2833. However you do it, stay engaged, stay in touch. But as for now, we're signing off. I'm Bob Ruff. And I'm Mike Bussing. And this has been Truth and Justice. It's weird the amount of stuff we have to do. You guys don't know the struggles that we go through uh, before we record. I, I am not allowed to eat bananas on recording days. Did you know that? I didn't know that. Bananas make my mouth click. Like your mouth just clicked right there? Yeah. It makes it hard for Mike to edit it. So I am not allowed to eat bananas, which is a bummer because I, I like to have and a banana. I still, and house. I still think you drink too much water during recording. I know. And then I drink too much water. If your pH gets off balance, any of that, it causes all these little clickiness. <clears throat> But I'm really wishing now that I had made put some of those decorations on that wall. You know, I have to change that because that's the one that people get to see. But they get to see the computer going. They get to see all kinds of stuff. Don't want to give away too much of the uh how the sausage is made.
3: <laughs> Dang.
2: <laughs> God.
3: I thought we'd gotten past that one, Bob. We have. I thought not. we beat that analogy to the ground. We have not. Oh God. God.
2: What are we doing? <laughs> putting on a show for our patrons (laughs) putting on a show you're welcome let's all three high five guys yeah this is is my job
1: (laughs) i don't even know where my phone went either you threw it on the floor i was getting rid of it i didn't want to be yelled at i hope it's cracked it is cracked. it's already cracked threw it for showmanship
0: i did get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with stamps.com it's like your own personal post office